So, um, as uh, mentioned earlier today, by Larry, tonight's talk is on the first Satipatthana, mindfulness of the body. And um, first, just a couple of words about um, the Satipatthana, which is the theme of this retreat, as, as Philip mentioned last night beautifully in his talk. It is an important sutta, and for those who are new to practice, sutta are the scriptures, are the teachings of the Buddha. It's a very core teaching, um, and um, and we're very really delighted to be sharing that on this retreat and following it and giving talks out of it. And um, you've heard satipatthana um, literally; in, it's a combination of sati, mindfulness, and upatana, which means placing near in a particular way. So being present in a particular way with an object. So there are four satipatthanas, which means there are, there are four objects which Buddha really taught us how to be present with them in a particular way, attending with mindfulness in a particular way. So, and the order of the satipatthanas, the, um, these contemplations, the four contemplations, um, go from coarser, from things that are more easily accessible, like the body, it's right here, to f- more and more unrefined. And even within the contemplation of body, as we'll, dis- as we'll discuss tonight, there are six sub-contemplation. You know, Buddha loved the lists, so four, six, however many lists. The six contemplation of the body that we'll talk about tonight, they also um, go from more coarse to more and more refined. So keep that in mind as you're listening. It's, it's all beautifully organized, really, very, very elegantly organized. And given that we're each at a different place in our practice um, on this retreat and in our lives, um, there could be a different proclivity for different practices at different times. Um, so whichever one really speaks to you, it's, it's perfectly fine to give that wise attention and emphasis uh, at a given time. And each and every satipatthana in and of its own can be a doorway for complete liberation. And I think as Larry mentioned this morning, contemplating the body alone can be a, a, a foundation, a path to complete liberation. However, having said that, there is a reason why the Buddha taught not one, but four satipatthanas. And in one um, simile, he compares the four satipatthanas to four chariots coming from four directions, each scattering a heap of dust at the intersection. So each chariot will, will scatter dust on its own, but if four of them pass, they're much more effective, which is why we teach all four of them. So keep that in mind. So with the contemplation of the body, I would like to re-invoke what Philip mentioned last night with regards to samasati, um, wise mindfulness, which also came up in a question period this morning. That 
the same way that the true uh, that the true purpose of wise mindfulness is seeing clearly and seeing as they are and ultimately reaching liberation and freedom in this very life the same way that that's the true goal and point of sati mindfulness and yet there are these side benefits that happen in our lives for example being more productive being more effective in our personal interactions when we are more mindful in the same way mindfulness of the body also has some um, can be a doorway in and of itself for liberation and seeing things as they are and at the same time it has some wonderful side benefits it's much easier to have a healthy balanced life if you're in contact with the immediacy of your body if you know what the body is feeling and sensing what's going on if you're connected to the body you can lead a health a healthier more aware life in fact learning to be mindful of the body bodily experiences can be one of the most useful aspect of mindfulness of the body also mindfulness of the body can serve as as a way for us be more in touch with our emotions as dory will talk about in her second talk on emotions um there is a lot of information in our body when for example we feel emotions we don't just feel them in our mind in in our experience we feel them throughout the body have you noticed when you're angry when you, your heart palpitates and just you know you feel more aroused that's mindfulness of the body you're feeling it in the body i love a teaching by gil fransdell he talks about the pyramid the same way that when a pyramid is is upright um is stable it doesn't topple over right the the foundation the base is strong the same way if we think about our life our presence as a pyramid um thinking about our body as the base that can really keep us stable and grounded um and as we for example sit in meditation it's helpful to feel that we're sitting like a mountain well rooted with dignity stable continuing the idea of the pyramid the center can be our emotional life the center of the pyramid um emotions um mind states and then the top of the pyramid we can think of as our thoughts that take us every which way now if you take a pyramid if you put it down on its base it's stable if we're rooted in our bodies we can be stable we're not going to be taken for a ride by our thoughts but if you put the pyramid upside down what's going to happen it topples over so in that way we can we can really get a sense of giving primacy to our thoughts can not does not lead to stability but giving more attention to the stability of the body really being rooted can give us stability 
both on retreat and in our lives. So I cannot emphasize mindfulness of the body enough. So as we start this discussion about the body, it helps to um, ask ourselves, what is my relationship to my body? Ask yourself, what is your relationship to your body? Do you ignore your body? Do you take the aches and pains personally? Do you take the limitations of your body personally? Do you suffer because of your body image? Any yeses to any of these questions? Don't be shy. Yeah, of course. Yeah. It's important to be aware of that as we start this this exploration of the body. Sometimes we have a love-hate relationship towards our body. We care about what it looks like from the outside. We wish our body was smaller, larger, firmer, taller, shorter, more strong, more beautiful, didn't sag in the wrong places, wider, darker, more hair in some areas, less hair in some areas. Um, I'm f- I was born in the Middle East, so a lot of time in the, for, for the Middle, Middle Eastern women is spent um, managing unwanted body hair in the wrong places. So, so there's a lot of management of the features we don't like in our body, and we take it so personally. It's my body. It's my body. One way to think about having a relationship to our body after having actually made it seen, what is the relationship you already have, is to perhaps consider it as a precious vessel that we're, we're in, we found ourselves in, without a choice, really. You know, nobody sent us a questionnaire. Okay, what would you like? Would you like black hair, brown eyes, um, you know, bad back, scoliosis? Oh, that sounds like fun. Maybe I'll go with that. Curvature in my back. Ooh, Did, we didn't quite get a question there. Did we? Anyone? I, I didn't get one. No? I didn't think so. So we are given what we're given. It's, it's, it's the luck of the draw. It's genetic. So taking the body so personally is almost silly when we really think about it. I didn't have a choice in this body. I, whoever I is, could have bo- been born in anybody else's body. Think about that for a moment. Wow. Like I'm Martian. I just landed in this body. Whoa, this is pretty miraculous. It heals itself. It knows how to breathe. It knows how to, to um, consume food. When I eat something that doesn't sit well with me, it knows how to purge. It's, it's amazing. I wouldn't know how to do any of these things if I tried. Would you? It's, it's amazing. It's really miraculous. So having a sense of awe, having a sense of appreciation for our body as nature 
It is nature. This is nature. We are nature. It's not just in the trees and the birds and the river and the mountains. This, this is nature. The body in this way is an amazing vehicle for contemplating the three characteristics. The three characteristics of existence are anicca, impermanence, dukkha, unsatisfactoriness or stress or suffering, so many different ways is translated, and anatta, not self or no unchanging self. And briefly, we know our body is impermanent. We know it falls apart. We, we know in the long term it is going to die. And we also know that in the short term, it's impermanent. We, we feel different in the morning. Are, are you feeling the same way as you woke up this morning, anyone? How many different feelings and emotions have you gone through and, and sensations in your body and aches and pains? And It changes every moment almost. Every moment it changes. It's a wonderful way to... Um, to contemplate anicca. And also on an elemental level, when the mind quiets, you can really see on an elemental level, it's changes happening every mind moment in this body, every mind moment. It's also a vehicle for contemplating dukkha, body dukkha. If you have a body, you have pains and aches and sickness and and all of that, like, everybody else. Anyone immune from that? I don't think so. We're human beings. It just comes with the package. You have a body, you have aches and pains. And you probably have experienced plenty of it today as you continue to sit. The second day of retreat can be increased dukkha day for the body. It's also a way to contemplate anatta, not self, no unchanging self uncontrollability. It's not ours. If I tell my body to stop aging now, come on, come on, let's stop aging. Is it going to listen? Do I have control? Do any of us have control over our bodies? Do we own our bodies? It's not us. It's not self. So the six contemplations that are in Satipatthana Sutta having to do with the body are breathing, posture, activities, anatomical parts, elements, and death contemplation. Each of these six contemplations are multifaceted. And as you practice more and more, more of it opens up to you. So don't worry about getting it all tonight or on this retreat. Just whatever speaks to you, whatever speaks to you, bring more wise attention to that. And in fact, for this talk, don't try to get it all down. It's, it's, it's a lot. I, I want to expose you to what's in the sutta gently, um, but allow the talk to wash over you. And if one practice that I suggest, if something resonates with you about the contemplation of the body, Give more wise attention to that and let the other ones go, trusting your practice, trusting that this is the right time for whatever resonates with you. And the other practices will fill in eventually. 
when their time comes for your path. So the six aspects are beautifully designed to both help stabilize us as the pyramid, really stabilize us in our bodies, getting more in touch with the way we are in the world, for example, with our emotions, developing a wise relationship to our body through the contemplation as by seeing things as they are, and finally, as a path to freedom in and of themselves. So they're really multifaceted. There are many different ways that they can serve us. So speaking of as a way to, um, to ground us, to stabilize us. I'm going to offer you a simile. Um, Buddha often taught in similes, and we can consider them to be beautiful and poetic, which they are, but they're actually really prescriptions for practice if we really take them on and see, oh, how does this simile feel? We can really practice with them. So... Let's try this on for size. So one simile is called the Chapana Sutta, the six animals. So the, what, what um, the Buddha presents here is that if you catch six animals of different ranger, ranges and habitats and bind them with a strong rope, like you have a snake, um, you have a snake, you have a bird, um, there are a whole bunch of them here. Anyway, you have six different animals, and each of them would want to, they will pull you where they want to go. So the six animals are the six senses. They're seeing, smelling, tasting, hearing, touching, and the mind door. That's the sixth sense in Buddhism, where all the various five senses are replayed, like images can be replayed in the mind, sounds, music can be replayed in the mind. Um, so the same way that six animals, if you have six animals, you know, the bird wants to fly and the crocodile wants to go into the water, etc. The six sense doors, each they want to go in a different place. Have you noticed on retreat? The distractions, the mind wants to think, etc. Now, if you tether them to a strong post, then they will try, they will pull this way and the other, but then they will get tired and they'll sort of, ah, oh, they'll sleep. They'll fall asleep by, by the post. So what the post is in this simile is mindfulness of the body. Mindfulness of the body is the, the tether to tie the six animals. So I invite you to try that on for size when you're doing your sitting meditation. See what it feels like to actually feel these the various sensor are these animals that are being pulled to the sound, to the this, thoughts, etc. And you're tethering them to the body, to the sensations of the body. Another simile I want to offer you to practice with is for your walking meditation, if you like. I found this one to be really valuable in my own practice. And that is the 
Sedaka Sutta, the beauty queen. And the premise is this. If there is a fair and there is a beautiful beauty queen that's singing and dancing, and you've been given the task to take a bowl filled to the brim with oil and carry it on your head between the great crowd and the beauty queen. The Buddha had a sense of humor. (laughs) It gets better. A man with a raised sword will follow right behind you, and whenever you spill even a drop of oil right there, will he cut off your head. So this is a way to practice with walking meditation. It's so precious. The, it's, the, the bowl is filled with hot oil to the brim. And there is a beauty queen, which you would really like to see. And she's the best dancer, most beautiful in the kingdom. And there are a lot of crowds, so you need to go between them without dropping. And if you drop even a drop, your head will be chopped off. So realize the level of mindfulness that that requires in the body to really know where you are, what the movements of your body are with regards to the the bowl, because it's crowded. Lots of people are going to come and run into you. So you have to, whoa, notice where they're coming, right? So the Buddha says, the bowl filled to the brim with oil stands for mindfulness immersed in the body. Thus, you should train yourselves. We will develop mindfulness immersed in the body. We will pursue it, hand in the reins, and take it as a basis, give it a grounding, steady it, consolidate it, and undertake it well. So I offer those similes as something to try on for size and really how it might work for you. Experiment with them if you like. It's just an invitation. So speaking briefly about each of the six contemplations specifically, The first one is breathing, which is what we have been working with, breathing within the body. We've been working with the instructions in the morning so far. And it's, in a way, it's the simplest and it's the bread and butter. It's usually where we start. It's easiest way for us to tether our attention to our body. There are ways to elaborate on that. And I would like to read you a part of the sutta. Mindful, she breathes in. Mindful, she breathes out. Again, it's beautiful, but also instructions. Mindful as you breathe in. Mindful as you breathe out. Breathing in long, he knows I breathe in long. Breathing out long, he knows I breathe out long. So again, awareness. Breathing long. Breathing in long, knowing that. Breathing out long, knowing that. And then, the same thing about breathing in short and breathing out short. And again, here we see a, a um, movement from the coarse to more subtle. First, you just realize you're breathing in and out. Then you realize you're breathing long in and out. And then short, which is more subtle breath. When the mind settles, the the breath becomes more subtle. Then the mind realizes and is mindful of the short breath in and out. 
continuing. I shall breathe the experience I shall breathe in experiencing the whole body. She trains thus. I shall breathe out experiencing the whole body. She trains thus. And this has been referred to experiencing the whole body can be the whole body of breath. Beginning, middle and end. That can bring more mindfulness. Really noticing where does the breath begin? Where is the middle of the breath? Where is the end of it? It can also be construed, interpreted as the whole body. You can notice the whole body breathing. So scholars really contemplate, uh, uh, translate that or take that in two different ways of practicing, and both are fine. You can experiment and do both. He trains thus, I shall breathe in calming the bodily formations. He trains thus, I shall breathe out calming the bodily formations. And again, the idea of calming the bodily formations can be construed in two ways. One is calming the breath itself, really having a soft breath. The other one is calming the bodily formations, calming the body, because naturally the breath will calm when the body is calm, and vice versa. So those two are essentially the same thing because when the breath is calm, the body calms down. And when the body is calm, the breath will calm down. So moving on to the second satipatthana, the postures. Contemplating the postures of the body. And let me... uh, read a part of this for you. Again, monks, when walking, he knows, I am walking. When standing, he knows, I am standing. When sitting, she knows, I am sitting. When lying down, she knows, I am lying down. Or she knows accordingly however her body is disposed. Again, notice how it's going from coarser activities to more refined. Walking is much more energetic. That's the first one that's mentioned. Standing is the second one. Sitting, the third one. And finally, lying down, because it's more, much, much more subtle compared to walking, which is much more energetic for the body. And speaking of standing, I want to emphasize what a valuable position that is for meditation, especially if you're feeling sleepy. Sloth and torpor will come up if they haven't come up in your practice yet. And one really wise way to work with that is to open your eyes and stand up practice. I've spent plenty of time on retreat standing up and meditating while standing up. So know that that is available to you as a perfectly fine tool for practicing. Speaking of various postures, um, there is quite a strong relationship between the postures and the state of mind and how they affect each other. Do you think your posture affects your mind state? 
Yeah, it definitely does. There are some meditation instruction, instructions to actually assume a particular state of the body and see how it affects your state of mind and vice versa. In fact, some years ago, I was talking to a yogi on a retreat who um, made this her practice. She just happened upon it. At first, she said she was seeing people walking around during walking medita- meditation very differently, like maybe dragging their feet. Or, and me- at first, she was feeling aversive. And then I thought, oh, what if I start to walk the same way they're walking? People who have mobility issues, they can't walk normally as she considered what normal was. So she took on their style of walking, maybe hunched over, maybe dragging the feet. And then she could feel, she said, she could really get a sense of the mind state. Her mind state changed. And then she chose another person and, and took on their walk. And her mind state changed. And it was completely opening for her the effect of mind and body. And, and also a way for, for empathy, compassion for her to develop, to really relate to other people's experience who may not have the, the mobility that she had. In fact, there is research um, by social psychologist Amy Cuddy that shows that the way that you stand, and she's done work in power posing, um, where she gets people to, to, to have a pose of a confident, confidence pose before, um, for example, before they go into an interview or a mock interview, and then... Um, they rate the interviewer if she has just been sitting or if she's been doing the power pose for 30 seconds or a minute. Um, Similarly, uh, she has um, um, done studies with the level of cortisol, the level of cortisol and testosterone change just after this brief practice. In fact, given that it's half hour into the talk, I recommend we just try this for a moment. If you like to sit or if you have mobility issues, you can do this while sitting. Take on a power pose. For other people who like to try it, let's try it for a minute. So let's get up and try it. So before you start, pay attention to your body. Sorry, pay attention. For those who've started, undo. Pay attention to how you're feeling right now. Are you sleepy? Are you tired? Are you bored? Are you curious? Are you defeated? Is this too much information? Whatever it is, just notice. What's going on? What's going on in your mind? What's going on in your body? Okay. Now that you have done that, now do a power pose. Just try it out. You can keep your eyes open or, or close to really go in and really feel powerful, strong, really feel the strength of this body, really feeling whatever strength is available to you right now. As if you're on top of a mountain, you've just arrived at the top of a mountain. See, notice if your breathing is getting more deep. Notice. What's happening? Okay, let's go back to our seats. And now check in. How does your body feel now? 
Is your breathing different? Is your mind state brighter or sharper? Are you sitting more straight? Are you feeling more confident looking around the room? Oh, okay, that was cool. Or not. What's, just check in. That was maybe 30 seconds. Mindfulness of the body, posture, being mindful of your posture. couple of other ways we can practice with this is contemplation of identity with each, each posture, as in Zen. Who goes if you're walking? Who's walking? Who is walking? Who's sitting? Who's standing? You can also have a contemplation of dukkha, of unease when you bring awareness to the minor postural adjustments that there's a constant effort to alleviate pain when you're sitting. Okay, it could be comfortable for 10, 15, 20 minutes, and then, oh, something is going to hurt, and you're going to adjust it. Just bring attention to that. Bring attention to those changes in the posture. Moving to the third contemplation, activities. I would like to read a part of this again for you. Again, monks, when going forward and returning, he acts clearly. Sorry, let me try again. Again, monks, when going forward and returning, he acts clearly knowing. When looking ahead and looking away, he acts clearly knowing. When flexing and extending his limbs, he acts clearly knowing. When wearing his robes and carrying his outer robe and bowl, he acts clearly knowing. When eating, drinking, consuming food, and tasting, she acts clearly knowing. When defecating and urinating, everything is included in your practice. When defecating and urinating, she acts clearly knowing. When walking, standing, sitting, falling asleep. By the way, this is a practice in and of itself. Falling asleep, waking up, talking, keeping silent. He acts clearly knowing. It's not just on the cushion or when you're doing formal walking meditation, is it? No. It's when you walk to the bathroom, when you're sitting on the toilet, being mindful of what you are doing, of every activity. When you're in the line, taking food, noticing the person in front of you took too much, is there's not going to be enough of me thinking about that. Ooh, act clearly knowing. What are you doing? What is your activity right now? What is it? And to know that this is some, this is practice for daily life. It can be a practice for daily life. Some of you have mentioned that your practice is on the cushion at home, and when then you get up and move around, there is a separation, a complete separation of practice and being in the world. Bringing mindfulness to your activities helps merge your practice with your life. And the key really here is relaxed 
gentle mind effort so that the mind doesn't get exhausted. If the mind is present gently with all activities, you can sustain it. But if you're bearing down with laser-sharp attention with every movement, then it's much harder to keep that through the day. In fact, Utejaniya, who's a Burmese uh, monk um, who has been teaching in the West also, and I had the, the good fortune to sit with him at IMS um, um, this April, his main way of teaching is continuous, gentle, easy mindfulness. Last night, Philip talked about atapi. That's that gentle persistence. It's not effortful persistence, but it's coming back. Gentle, coming back, coming back again, coming back again. It's gentle, but it just continues. It continues over and over and over again. Another aspect to keep in mind with, with the postures is that it's not just bare awareness of the movement, but also adopting a restrained and dignified behavior because part of ethical conduct and restraint in our emotions through the world really can be a starting point for our formal practice on the cushion. Can really support our practice on the cushion when we're moving, when we're really mindful in a dignified way of how we're moving in the world and affecting other people and affecting ourselves. Moving to the fourth contemplation, anatomical parts. This is one of my favorites. Again, monks, he reviews the same body up from the soles of the feet and down from the top of the hair, enclosed by skin, as full of many kinds of impurity thus. In this body, there are head hairs, body hairs, nails, teeth, skin, flesh, sinew, bones, bone marrow, kidneys, heart, liver, diaphragm, spleen, lungs, bowels, mesentery, contents of the stomach, feces, bile, phlegm, pus, blood, sweat, fat, tears, grease, spittle, snot, oil of the joints, and urine. Just as though there were a bag with an opening. Actually, pay attention to this part specially. Just as though there were a bag with an opening at both ends full of many sorts of grain, such as rice hill, red rice, beans, peas, millet, and white rice, and the man with good eyes were to open it and review it thus, this is hill rice, this is red rice, these are the beans, these are the peas, this is millet, this is white rice, so too she reviews this same body. It's a bag of beans. So the idea here is not to have repulsion towards it. Ooh, ooh, spleen, pus, urine, spittle, grease. No, it's just a bag of beans. That's what the Buddha is trying to get us to see. The body parts, they're just body parts. It's a body. They're body parts. It's neither lovely, the, the head, the hair is not necessarily beautiful. It's just what we put on it. 
It's just hair growing out of the skull. It's just skin. It's just flesh. It's just the contents of the abdomen. Half-chewed food. It's just that. It's like beans. Oh, here's a bag of beans. Here, here's the rice. Here's this. Here's that. With that same feeling, with that same relationship of objectivity, neither being repulsed by it and neither being enchanted by it, it just is. It just is. We are made of body, of body parts. When I was practicing with my Burmese teacher, Venerable Park Sayada, um, I was doing this practice, which is also called the 32 parts of the body, um, intensely, both internally, contemplating my own parts of the body as I read over many, many days, and also contemplating externally. And there was a part, there was a point in my practice when I was noticing it's just body parts. It's just a body. It's just a body. It was so freeing. It was so freeing to just see it is just a body. And it's dysfunction and all, everything that happens is just a body. And I remember sitting in the courtyard and watching the birds and the squirrels. And I was seeing them as body parts moving for food they were eating, you know, lungs, just bodies. Not to say that we don't have appreciation for the miracle that, that this life is, but also it's just a body, it's just parts. I'd like to share a poem by Shantideva, 7th century Buddhist sage. What we call the body is not feet or shins. The body, likewise, is not thighs or loins. It's not the belly, nor indeed the back, and from the chest and arms the body is not formed. The body is not ribs or hands, armpits, shoulders, bowels, or entrails. It is not the head or throat. From none of these is body constituted. If body, step by step, pervades and spreads itself throughout its members, its parts indeed are present in the parts. But where does the body in itself abide. If body, single and entire, if present in the hand and other members, however many parts there are, the hand and all the rest, you'll find an equal quantity of bodies. If body is not outside or within its parts, how is it then residing in its members? And since it has no basis other than its parts, how can it be said to be at all? Sounds like a riddle. I'll let you just sit with that one. Thus, there is no body in the limbs, but from illusion does the idea spring, to be affixed to a specific shape, just as when a scarecrow is mistaken for a man. Oh, that's lovely. Just as when a scarecrow is mistaken for a man. As long as the conditions are assembled, a body will appear and seem to be a man. As long as all the parts are likewise present, it's there that we will see a body. Likewise, since it's a group of fingers, the hand itself is not a single entity. And so it is with fingers made of joints, and joints themselves consist of many parts. 
these parts themselves will break down into atoms, and atoms will divide according to direction. These fragments, too, will also fall to nothing. Thus, atoms are like empty space. They have no real existence. All form, therefore, is like a dream. And who will be attached to it? Who thus investigates? The body in this way has no existence. What is female, therefore, and what is male? The poem beautifully captures the contemplation of body as body parts. And where is the body if it's not in its parts? And is it each of the parts? And also, it's a great lead-in to the next contemplation, which is the elements, especially when the poem talks about atoms and empty space. And it's, it's a dream, it's a foam, what is there? So let's move on to the next contemplation, which is even on a finer level than everything we've talked before, which is contemplation of elements. From the Sutta. Again, monks, he reviews the same body, however it is placed, however disposed, as consisting of elements thus. In this body, there are the earth element, the water element, the fire element, and the air element. Just as though a skilled butcher or his apprentice had killed a cow and was seated at a crossroads with it cut up into pieces, so too he reviews this same body. So this contemplation is really seeing the body in its elements, the four elements. So the four elements being earth element, water element, fire, and wind. Okay, what does that mean? There are different ways, there are two main ways to interpret that. One is this body is nature. This body is nature, as we were talking about it. The same way that there is, there is outside the body, there is heat and there is water flowing, etc., etc. All those elements are also us. This body is nature. Another way to explore this and understand it and actually work with it, um, also in contemplation, is, is through experiencing the body. So, a little bit of philosophy, if you're still awake for it. So, Buddhist philosophy, the, the way Buddhism sees the world, is phenomenological. i always afraid I'm not going to get through the end of that word. So, what does that mean, this big, huge word? It means it, it's, it's a first-person experience of the wor- world. Buddhism does not posit things about the world outside of what you as a human being can experience with your six senses, the five senses and the mind. So the Buddha said, Ehipasiko, come and see for yourself. He didn't say, come and believe for yourself. He said, come and see for yourself. So in Buddhism, whatever you experience from the inside, that is that defines the world, that defines your, the confines of your understanding and your experience. 
So the way then to contemplate the character, the, these um, four elements is as the way that we experience our body. We don't experience, when you're sitting on your cushion, you don't experience legs or sit bones. There's no concept of that. All you experience is hardness and softness and pressure and heat and coolness. That's what those four elements are. In fact, a way to contemplate them as taught in the Visuddhimagga and also taught by my teacher, Park Sayadaw, the earth element, hardness, can be experienced experience from the inside phenomenologically as hardness, roughness, heaviness. Do you feel heaviness in your limbs? That's the earth element. That's just how you experience the world. It's not an arm. It's just really the heaviness that you feel. It's that heaviness. Similarly, earth element can be experienced as its opposite, softness, smoothness, and lightness. The water element can be experienced as flowing, the way saliva flows and the way your breath flows. can also be experienced as cohesion, the way the body is held together. The third element, fire, can be easily, easily experienced as heat. Can you feel heat in your body right now? And coolness. Can you feel coolness on your cheeks or as you breathe by your nostrils? That's the fire element. And lastly, the wind element can be experienced in two ways. Supporting, for example, you can bend the body, straighten it, and the force that keeps the body straight is the supporting, is the wind element, as well as pushing. Wherever there is movement, for example, in your breath, or your pulse, that's pushing. That's the air element, the wind element. The Visuddhimagga has a beautiful expose of this. And I skip reading the paragraph and just leave you the last line, which is, thus does this machine made of the four elements move like a puppet and deceives all foolish people with its femininity, masculinity, etc. The last contemplation is death contemplation, also known in the Satipatthana Sutta as corpse in decay. So the idea here is to actually contemplate a corpse that is decaying for us to really get close to the experience, to really understanding that we too, I too will die, that my life is is short. I will not be sure whether I'll be here tomorrow. I can be. I assume because that's what our ego does. Oh, yeah, we make plans for next year, two years from now. But who knows? There might be a brain hemorrhage. I may not see you tomorrow morning. We can't rely. We can't rely. We don't know. There's one thing that is certain, that we are going to die. When 
it's going to happen. We don't know. That's uncertain. But the fact that we are going to die is certain. No question about it. In the sutta, as the contemplation of death is, is proposed, very visually, in fact, the last line the Buddha, of, of the contemplation, he says, he compares, he compares this same body with it, the body that's kind of, you know, you imagine the body that's rotting and, and, and in different stages of decay. This body too is of the same nature. It will be like that. It is not exempt from that fate. The idea here is not to bring out depression or aversion, but just to really live more fully and realize how important our, our precious human birth is because it is so finite. It is so finite. I was talking to a friend recently who was in her 40s and, and she was going through death contemplation and oh, it was really alive for her. There can be a sense of, ah, I'm going to die. And, and I, I told her, I'm happy for you. I really am. I've gone through that myself. And I probably will again as the practice continues to be a spiral and deepens more and more. And I remember with my practice, there was a sense of, I'm going to die. And, and then ah, there was peace around it. Okay, 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 I'm going to die. And it's okay. And it made life even more precious. And practice opportunities like this so much more valuable. Who knows if you will be able to come back for another retreat. I hope you will. But who knows? So in closing, I'm going to invite you to close your eyes just for a moment in meditation. And I'd like to read for you as, as you sit with your eyes closed a short poem by the poet Gray. The boast of heraldry, the pomp of power, all that beauty, all that wealth ever gave, await alike the inevitable hour. The path of glory leads to the grave. Thank you for your kind attention. And as Philip beautifully invited all of you to take a walk now and let the words, the many, many words and many, many contemplations that were offered as a part of the sitta, let them wash over you. Let them resonate with you. Don't go to bed yet. It's too precious. Time is too short to do that. So I also encourage and invite you to do a walking meditation in this period.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.